Hi, I'm Kent from Denver, Colorado. Hey, I'm Travis Pope from Kirksville, Missouri. Hey, I'm Will Stouffer from Los Angeles. The Sound of Young America is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate. I'm Jesse Thorne, live on tape from my house in Los Angeles. It's the Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the program is Chris Morris. Uh, He's one of Britain's most revered and in some cases despised, but largely revered uh, satirists. Um, His acclaimed television programs uh, skewered the news and uh, Web 1.0 culture. And his new film, Four Lions, is... Uh, a satire of that most natural subject uh, for satire, uh, a homegrown terror cell in London. Um, Chris Morris, welcome to The Sound of Young America. Thanks. It's nice to have such an upbeat tone to the introduction as a despicable man. <laughs> I'll try and match that for you. I'll be upbeat despicable throughout this. <laughs> Good. Is that like your is that your personality test te, uh, test matrix your your UD for upbeat despicable? Yeah, I was I was they 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 had to invent a despicable scale when I went in for my Scientology profile. Sure, uh, they had you know they said you have well you kind of find a lot of errors but you have a lot of deep problems with despicability. So, um, so I, I want to start by playing a clip of you on um, the radio program that uh, sort of made your reputation nationally in, in England uh, on the hour. Uh, this is you as, uh, as, a, uh, as a news anchor. Residents of Brixton woke this morning to see the streets literally swarming with hard-faced convicts. But according to officials, there was no need to worry. It was simply an escape for charity, the brainchild of Home Secretary Kenneth Baker and Prison Warden David Spreckley. Some of the prisoners had expressed concern over the depletion of the Amazon rainforest, said Mr Spreckley, and I thought, what better way to help than have a sponsored mass breakout? At 7 o'clock this morning, the doors were opened, the warders turned their backs for 45 minutes and prisoners paraded out of the gates in colourful fancy dress. They are under strict instructions to return by evening prayers. At home. The Conservative Party central office has once again flatly refused to speculate over the precise date of the next general election. However, they did agree to leave a series of cryptic clues at undisclosed locations around the country. The pound. Sterling today, 7, 2, 50 and 5. You had already been doing regional radio by the time you started doing this new satire program. I think you're saying by the time you, in your late 20s, still hadn't grown up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I started working in radio and I basically found that any time I worked on a uh, news program and had to do a report on a story which involved deaths, I'd be taken aside by the news editor afterwards and he'd say, can you just take this a bit more seriously, please? <laughs> uh, so I realised I had a faulty kind of wiring in my larynx, and at that point, at some point, it chimed with what I thought anyway. Maybe I was just speaking my mind without realising it. And I did find the whole process fairly ridiculous, so it was quite natural to start absorbing the absurdities of that kind of media process into the programmes that I was doing. And because local radio was pretty unregulated at that point, I mean, if you said, basically, if you mentioned body parts, you'd get into trouble, but actually the more subversive things you could get away with because no one, there wasn't really a charter to monitor that. Um, it meant that you could have quite a free grounding in glorified mucking about. I, I read at some point that you were... Um you were offering your own commentaries 
over top of the hourly news breaks from the BBC. Yeah, doesn't that sound subversive and radical? I mean, basically, it was almost the product of, of boredom that I was doing a, a regional show that got sort of uh, sent out to about, I suppose, a quarter of the country late at night on a Friday. And I just got, I mean, I mean there was something, I can't remember what triggered it, it was just some little grit in the system. I was annoyed with the tone of the newscaster's voice or something. They were sounding too holier than thou about things that really didn't matter. So I just opened my fader because it was channeling through my desk and just started doing a sort of ho-hum, oh, oh dear, type commentary <laughs> over the top, <laughs> thinking it was all jolly amusing, fired the next day. <laughs> I, I, one of the things when I read about some of this stuff you did er, er, early on in your career that I wondered was like, who were the guys that were like running local radio stations and i i know that this the structure of broadcast media is very different in in the uk um relative to the united states but um who were the guys that were like oh yeah bring bring me morris it was a peculiar phase because i think it was just in the part of the evolution it was under the sort of banner of the bbc which is you know uh the state-funded broadcaster in britain and really still defines the range of television and radio and internet that you can get. You know, it's under assault all the time. But at that time, local radio had been around for uh, sort of 15 years or so. And there were people within it who were wanting to just shake it up a little bit. So that for a time in the 80s, uh, there were a few rash decisions and, you know, those people would get... I, I often would get the managers into trouble so they'd be stamped down on by the the sort of the upper hierarchy of the BBC. But for, it meant that because it was live and because there wasn't really the resourcing to patrol it, you could jump out and scream <laughs> a little bit. Um, and I think it was the fact that it was regulated that made it, you know, that made it daring. Because, you know, there are many, many more daring things, I think, really, on the radio here. It's kind of like, if it's unregulated, if you can say anything. It's like the difference between when Howard Stern was sort of regulated and not. It's kind of like, to, to, to hear him swearing in his show means nothing because it's permitted. And it's all to do with when you're listening to the radio, you know what's allowed and what's not allowed. And as soon as somebody steps out of line, you know, I used to be entertained by people who do the most snoozy kind of radio. Um, but if they were doing the early morning show and they'd get a little bit of a kind of glint of evil in what they were doing, they could subvert something that had a really cozy tone and make it quite sharp because you knew that they weren't meant to be doing it. It seems like on the hour is um, and it's uh, and the television programs that followed it are really you know less about satirizing um, content, although that is part of them, and more about satirizing tone, um, more about sort of like inserting things into this into the um, intense uh, sort of. Um, authoritative voice of news that are just just incredibly silly. Well, yeah, saying silly things in a sensible voice is what you're reducing the entire <laughs> yeah. work to. Yeah, I mean, with justification, I think. I mean, I think, you know, obviously, luckily, there are schools of criticism that come to your aid and say, the tone is the content, and then you're fine. You know, in a way, that's a paraphrase of Marshall McLuhan. So we're fine. We're, we're in the content zone. But I think the thing is that you do that, and you, you do whatever interests you, and the tone is, is frankly barking so it's there it demands to be played with and the the, the content comes afterwards by the time you confuse the two because if you just hijack the delivery system then you're off and in a way i suppose this film is like hijacking a story it's 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 hijacking a story with the material do you see what i mean it's sort of it's it's 
in a, it feels to me like it comes from the same place, although it ends up looking very different. Somehow the kind of the sort of crystal resonant frequency of the thought is the same thing. It's the sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is uh, the writer and director uh, and performer Chris Morris. His new film is called Four Lions. It's about a homegrown terror cell in England, and it's a comedy. Um, he made his name in the UK as uh, the anchor of a series of satirical news programs. Um, here he is on uh, the first television show, um, The Day Today. The headlines tonight, Portillo's teeth removed to boost pound, exploded cardinal preaches sermon from fish tank, and where now for man raised by puffins? Teenage boy roasts himself in sacrifice to Chris Kelly, Heseltine fading fast, and headmaster suspended for using big face child as satellite dish. This is the news. Welcome. We'll have more with Chris Morris, the director of the new terrorism farce Four Lions, when we come back after a break. It's the Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com and by Smith Micro Software. Makers of Stuff It Deluxe, designed to move files simply and securely wherever customers want them to go. For Mac and PC, online at stuffit.com. Coverage of the world of comedy on The Sound of Young America is supported by Humber College, offering a two-year program dedicated to comedy. Students learn stand-up, improv, acting, and writing skills and perform in the heart of Toronto. At Humber, we make funny people funnier. More information at humbercomedy.com. It's the Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the comedy writer, performer, and director, Chris Morris. His new movie, Four Lions, is about a homegrown terror cell in London. He anchored and helped create and write the brilliant British news satire, Brass Eye. In a moment, we'll hear a clip from it. I do want to mention that in just a minute, uh, Chris does use a word that is... um, an archaic way of saying developmentally disabled um, that may be uh, upsetting to some listeners. So if, if that is uh, upsetting to you, you might want to come back in 10 minutes. Um, but in the meantime, here's a clip from Chris Morris's brilliant television satire, Brass Eye. Tonight on Brass Eye, animals, are we too nice or too nasty? Over the centuries, man's relationship with animals has been complex. In ancient Egypt, felines were worshipped because the Egyptians thought they were funny. Europe, too, has its animal traditions. In Zaragoza, the streets still get crazy with the annual running of the wasp. Today, animals are used more discreetly as a vital lubricant in the wheels of government. It was my job for some teen years to procure wild beasts for the... uh... House of Parliament had to get bats, gibbons. Ex-civil servant Foster Pan purchased over a thousand animals to work in Westminster. Michael Hasseltine finds it very useful, um, if he's angry, to have an ape to slap. Kenneth Clark uh, has a baby moose in a cupboard. The most commonly used animals are zebras, 
hurrying between offices with documents pinned to their bodies. Tony Benn had a tape here in the 70s and used to send messages on around Whitehall. Rude messages to the Lords, I always remember. He used to pin to the head of the tape here. <laughs> Most of it so was, was when you moved from the day-to-day to Brass Eye, you were working on a show that was uh, more focused on you as a performer and had... Um, and had a much less silly tone. It was it was more... There are many things, you know, there's a 70% overlap between those two shows, but the 30% that's new in Brass Eye is, um, is, sort, of, is sort of brutal, is probably the adjective I would use to describe it. Um, was that something that you, uh, that you thought about when you started working on Brass Eye? It must just be a reflection of my despicable personality. <laughs> I'd say that, you know, there's a kind of onus on me as a performer in that show because um, I'm not working with the full range of sort of talented people that I was working with before. Um, that was re- sort of an accident. There was a time when we were thinking about doing a second series of The Day to Day and already people's overlapping diaries started to become a complicated issue. And I knew there was plenty that I was still wanted to get stuck into, not least a way of um, bringing the issues, particularly issues which cause mindless hysteria, more uh, into the material of the programme, which is why it's more, I suppose, it's, you know, if the day-to-day is a description of the form, Brass Eye is a hijacking of the form in order to deliver, I guess, one sort of analysis of how people think about issues like drugs, rising crime, even scary subjects like, oh, dear, science or whether it's, um, you know, snap uh, hysterical subjects like paedophilia. And it's, 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 it just seemed to be a natural progression. It wasn't like, again, carving out an agenda. It was just, there are little bits in the day-to-day where there are real people interviewed, but um, they're very, very small. And it was an expansion of that, which harked back to the sort of things that I was doing on the radio anyway, which was constantly sort of messing around with what was true and what wasn't and doing it in the form often of either a a news bulletin or an announcement. You know, it just pleased me because I'm childish to announce things that weren't true uh, but seemed like they could be true. And whether you were doing that to a person or whether you were just abusing the the microphone and the transmission system that you happened to be in charge of at that time, just do it. So it was just a sort of... It was the obvious next step, it seems to me. Um, The brutality. (laughs) I think that, um, that I think that you have a uh, from from what I've read, you have a, a reasonable contempt for the kind of comic that wants to tell you about how um, uh, pushing buttons is a, is a uh, comedian's job, um, and you know if if you're not controversial, you're not you're not doing your work right or that kind of thing. Um, that's sort of you know here in the United States, probably uh, Carlos Mencia might be emblematic of of that style of comedy. Um, but at the same time, uh, you have uh, pushed enough buttons that uh, I wonder if I wonder, frankly, if you get a kick out of it. Like, no, I, I can't if, help it. I'm just clumsy. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like I'm, I, I'm all the rooms I go into are too small and they're over decorated and I'm bound to end up knocking over a, a lamp. <laughs> or a Christmas tree, but you, but you're making the choice to go to go, to into, go into that, that particular room. Listen, room. We, we live you're in rooms. Bull, we a... live in rooms. I don't live outside. I don't live in a hedge. Yeah, if you're a bull, you can choose between heading out to the pasture and heading into the china shop, right? Yeah, but we are not bulls, right? I mean, I'm not a bull. 
there's no way in which you, I'm a bull. I, I'm speaking metaphorically. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I'm so sorry if I wasn't clear. Okay. Well, my metaphorical bull happens to live people, inside. You people, know, I still I understand. People at home listening on the radio, they can't see you and see that you're a man. Um, and certainly, I'm not denying that you are a bull. A bull. <laughs> okay. Yes. Fine. But listen, I think that there's not. Uh, it's a matter of just. Ign- sometimes you're pursuing. Look, a lot of the stuff that I do is silly. You know, it is like every idea you follow is like you're following a silly idea, even if it's about jihadis. It's there's a cue to follow silly ideas. And that's the appeal, because in a way, that's your just that's your sort of sounding note about most things. And the fact that it happens to be about jihadis or the fact that it happens to have uh, a stop sign, which has been built by someone else in this small, overcrowded room you know, doesn't mean that you shouldn't ignore it. I think you should ignore stop signs if what you're doing is still funny. And that's up to you to judge and other people then to judge your judgment. But that's the only thing. Why stop it? The fact is that there's a lot of... I think the reason is, like, you know, I'm not against pushing buttons, but you have to do... You have to push a button with style or you have to do it properly. You have to know what you're doing. You can... it's, It's very easy to say... Hi there, can you show me the room with the buttons in it? And then run around just shooting the buttons if you want or firing rocket launchers at them. But what, you know, what are you doing? I mean, actually, maybe that's even fun in itself. I wouldn't want to decry any particular form. But if somebody gets stuck on doing that until they're 50, they're basically retarded. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a lovely way to end that. My guest is Chris Morris. His new film is called Four Lions. It's a comedy about a homegrown terror cell in London. In this clip from the movie, police snipers are looking over the London Marathon, and they're ordered to take down a possible terrorist. Unfortunately, there are quite a number of fun runners wearing ridiculous costumes, and confusion abounds. The bear is down. Repeat, the bear is down. They've got the bear. I think that's a Wookiee. That's a Wookiee. No, it's not. It's a bear. There's a Wookiee, a bear control. The bear target has changed. It's now target Honey Monster. Is a Honey Monster a bear? A Honey Monster is not a bear. A Honey Monster is a bear. The Honey Monster is down. He was a target. He was a bear. A Honey Monster is down. Honey Monster is not down control. We have a Wookiee down. What's a Wookiee? A bear. It's a bear. No, it is a Wookiee. You've just shot it as a bear. It's a bear. No, it's a bear. Wait, what? The Wookiee is down. The Wookiee is not the target. Well, it must be the target. I just shot it. To, To end up making a comedy about jihadis was just, as far as I could see, the next obvious step. The only, the only difficulty I think is that you, you know, you progress from sort of doing things which are totally instinctive. You know, you basically have a longer version of difficult second album syndrome, whereby the more you do, the more you have to feed yourself in order to get something that actually has any point. What what led you to start feeding yourself books about terror cells? Well, only as I was kind of reading, you know, I was just reading, as you do read about, you know, a lot of things, just reading a bit of background, particularly because the level of information that you get is starved you know it's it's really sort of um it's always the same three kind of thoughts and you know there is this kind of great evil out there and it's a dangerous horde of people with a sort of psychopathic ideology which you have to keep as far away from you as possible now if you do that you're not really thinking about it you're just you've labeled it one two three and off and you're on to the next thing and it's like don't go there it's scary and you think well come on there must be a bit more and then you realize that there's so much more that basically it's off-putting that you have to kind of understand 
Islamic, it, the, 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 you know, the genesis of uh, Islam, the evolution of Islamic culture, the historical context within which that happened. I mean, that is history in a way for that part of the world and the expansion of the empire, the contraction of that empire and all of that, in a way, determines the kind of the, the position that we're in now, the relationship between East and West. And it's a massive, chunky, I admit, slightly tedious sounding or egg-headed sort of thing to get into. But if you know, if you've seen that there are jokes in this, and that's what woke me up, I was reading about it, and then I kept seeing things that were, were unexpectedly funny. And when, when I noticed about three or four of those, I thought, I'm onto something here. And whether I was discovering about the kind of 9-11... Uh, plotters um, being very much like sitcom characters. There was a guy that Carla Sheikh Mohammed was interviewed on camera and he spent two hours choosing a costume that didn't make him look fat <laughs> and then when he was on camera he started talking in a totally different voice uh, <laughs> much as you did at the start of this interview and uh, he then whacked his finger like a didactic shake but then misquoted the Quran all over the place and he sprayed around Islamic quotes that were so bad that the interviewer had to stop him and say listen brother are you sure about this because this isn't in my Quran and the other guys were all laughing in the room and you suddenly have a kind of slightly farcical figure who nonetheless called into being these you know these attacks so that gives you an insight it's kind of like the fact that it's a joke gives you an insight and then you keep going and I just kept finding it in plots big and small um, so that's what sort of keeps you going otherwise it would have just fallen off it would have been like reading about I haven't found any jokes really in uh, you know quantum theory but maybe <laughs> that's because I'm not clever enough it's the sound of young America I'm Jesse Thorne my guest is the film writer director and performer Chris Morris his new movie four lions is about a homegrown terror cell in London England in this scene, one of the jihadis is recording a jihad video of himself rapping when he's interrupted by his cameraman. We the Muslimin and we're making terrible scenes. Now you want to know what the boom boom means. It's like Tupac said, when I die, I ain't dead. Fight and be slain, die with no pain. Got Shaheed in my heed for my creed, Adaheed. Eh? We are the martyrs. Use bro, just bro, smash what, what the martyrs. Bro. Now we've got. What was that? For my creed, I, for my creed, Adaheed. What's Dahid though? Died. Dahid, died. Dahid. That's bollocks, man. You're Ramin Dulale. That's clear, man. No, no, look, like, in my opinion. No, yeah, no man. Your, your opinion, your opinion, man. With all due respect, bro, you like Maroon 5. Yeah. What the f that about? Whoa, 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 whoa. Tell me about what you read, like w what specific things you read about uh, that made you laugh um, in descriptions of, of would-be mass murderers. The first thing was these Yemeni jihadis who were plotting to blow up a warship that was moored in a bay, um, and their plan was to ram it with an exploding boat. So they assembled... Uh, on the quayside at three in the morning, they put their launch in the water and they filled it full of explosives and it sank. <laughs> and I just thought, okay. And I sort of laughed a bit and I thought that's a bit like a reaction shot in a comedy or something. And I did wonder who would have said what to whom in that circumstances. There would have not have been a happy conversation after that. And I moved on. I came across other examples where people just behaved in the wrong way. There was an example of an Algerian terrorist who was summoned to meet bin Laden in Afghanistan. And he traveled, made a dangerous journey, turned up in bin Laden's cave and said, what do you want? Bin Laden said, I want you to work for me. And this Algerian terrorist said, get lost. I've no intention of working for you. I'm, I'm my own man. And I'll tell you how much I don't want to work for you. If I ever hear from you again, I'll come back here and I'll cut your head off. And 
I then thought, again, as a reaction shot, Bin Laden sort of sitting there looking like a slack <laughs> child. <laughs> and then you move on and you find sort of that within the Hamburg cell that was plotting the 9-11 attacks, there was a mockery of the leader. You know, the leader of that cell, Mohammed Atta, was very strict. Some of the others were more frivolous. He was very, very strict. He was so strict that when, and he'd regularly do this, when he formed Islamic discussion groups amongst the students there, they would always have been completely dispersed within two weeks because every single member of that group would have been deemed to be not Islamic enough. <laughs> so he couldn't hold together his, his social, his, his chosen social core, and it relied on other members of the group to keep the social cohesion going. And they used to tease him. They nicknamed him the Ayatollah. You know, that's how extreme he was. <laughs> Even within a bunch of extremists, he was nicknamed the Ayatollah. And you start to think that's weird because you... We might nickname someone the Ayatollah if he sort of grew a beard and started giving out orders and being very strict. But it's sort of it's sort of like it's sort of like a neo-Nazi group being like, "Oh, that guy's a real Hitler." Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly, and that makes that's ridiculous, isn't it? We interviewed when we were at Sundance, one of the programmers of uh, this year's Sundance Film Festival, and I should I should mention Four Lines was uh, shortlisted for the um, International Narrative Prize at uh, Sundance. And one of the things he said was something that struck me about the movie as well, which was that um, what was really remarkable wasn't just that it was a very funny satire about a group of horrible people, but also that it, uh, that it humanized those characters. And uh, I got uh, one of the most intense and vociferous emails I've ever gotten on the show. I give out my email address on the show. And it was from when, some, from someone who had, based on that response, um, felt more passionately than I can even describe. And he was, you know, he was like he was a lawyer. He wrote me from his work email um, that it was immoral to humanize people in fiction that had that were in real life committing such inhuman acts. Well, uh, what species did he suggest they belong to? <laughs> yeah. Did he propose something other than Homo sapiens? In which case, I say, as a lawyer, his case falls at the first fence. Possibly a bull. <laughs> Homo taurus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would. Uh, I think it's an understood code that what they're doing is basically wrong. I'm sort of amongst everybody, you know, amongst anybody that I've spoken to here, amongst uh, Muslims I spoke to in Britain, there's no doubt that what they're doing is wrong. So you'd be on a fairly short journey if you set out to make a film which basically said <laughs> what these guys are doing is wrong. That would be short. It's, and this comes up before, you know, the, you humanize these people, but what are they? I mean, the whole point is they're human, and that's the question. That's the thing you have to address. You know, that in their minds, some of them, not all of them, some of them are nihilists, but some of them think they're the good guys. Now, how do you deal with that? You can't just sort of say, oh, well, they're human, they're, they're, they're ratus norvegicus, they're not uh, homo sapiens. I mean, they are homo sapiens. And you kind of like, I think that's the difficult thing, that you have to deal with that range. You know, listen, I mean, just give me a couple of days, we three guys in a room, I could turn us into suicide bombers. <laughs> you know, I could turn us into suicide bombers with nothing more than a bit of aggravation, a bit of grief about something, and a copy of The Lion King. <laughs> Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking all this time to be on The Sound of Young America. It was really great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Chris Morris. He's the director of the hilarious new film, Four Lions. It's in theaters in a number of cities on November 5th, including Austin and, uh, let's see, New York City, Philadelphia, Seattle. Then it spins out across the country over the next month. You can find more information about that release schedule at drafthousefilms.com. That's drafthousefilms.com. 
That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. Did you like how I accidentally used like a Cockney accent just now? I have been your roast. Um, the show is edited by Nick White, our associate producer, Julia Smith. Music provided to us by Dan Wally. Teresa Thorne is our development director. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. You can find us online at MaximumFun.org, where you can download or listen to any of our past shows. Absolutely 1,000% for free. You can also find it in iTunes. My email address, if you have thoughts about the show, is jesse at MaximumFun.org. I hope you'll join us next week when we are live on tape from New York City with funny woman Amy Sedaris. And when I say funny woman, I mean basically the funniest person in the history of the world. 30 Rocks, Judah Friedlander, and a whole lot more. That's next week on The Sound of Young America. I hope we'll see you then. The Sound of Young America is supported in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com.